The main issue that came out of all of these pieces on Four Corners was that there are untrained people doing surgery and yet they've just made the space murkier and more confusing and maybe pushing through and endorsing some people who don't have the same training. Yeah, and the people who were the focus of those exposés could be grandfathered yeah. into this model. So it, It's just a bizarre direction that ARPRA have taken. It, it seemed like a very, very obvious thing to do, leave surgery for surgeons rather than create a pathway that is easier to access. explaining confusing policy recommendations that could have a big impact on patients. Australia's regulatory bodies have proposed some major changes to the current cosmetic surgery landscape, including mandating GP referrals, restricting what we can post on social media, and compulsory body dysmorphic disorder testing. The details across the board are currently pretty scant, but I'm joined by Richard Bloom to discuss what these changes mean for patients if they do come to pass and how it will impact anyone considering surgery going forward. Here we are. Welcome. Okay, so today what we're going to talk about, I think people will have probably heard in passing or in a couple of other mediums that APRA, they've proposed um, some new regulations for people who perform cosmetic yep. surgery. I think what would be good is hearing from you, especially like someone who's actually in the field, mm. what that's going to mean for patients. Um, I haven't, there's a lot. So I've yeah. just kind of done the big heavy hitters. Yeah. Um, so, oh, and this also just for listeners is for things deemed as cosmetic surgery. I think cosmetic often gets conflated with superfluous and mm -hmm. just, so all cosmetic means is it doesn't have an item number. Um, for, the, for the purposes of, of this discussion, yeah, uh, I don't think that's a great definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what they're using it for. Yeah, and I mean, and that changes, and not, never like necessarily that drastically, but even in the last year, we've had changes, multiple changes to what has an item number, what doesn't yeah. have an item number. So just so you know, that's how they're defining it, but it's not how we define it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so to start, I think the biggest are probably most nonsensical one is the cosmetic pathway. Do you want to explain what that is and what that will actually mean? Yeah, so, so just to step back a bit, um, there, there was obviously, uh, I think now going back two years ago, a Four Corners uh, uh, investigative piece on the cosmetic surgery uh, area um, and they highlighted a number of, for want of a better term, rogue operators who were not surgeons who are working in this space and identified some issues. From there, they set up an independent inquiry. And from what I'm told, in that inquiry, they heard submissions from a number of experts and ignored them. Um, and so there are 15 proposed guidelines, and the first of which is this endorsed model that you're referring to. Now, currently, to be a surgeon in this country, you need the only in, endorsed or approved recognised training program is through the College of Surgeons. So that's where you get a fellowship at the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons, FRACS. That is the only way you can get surgical, recognised surgical training in this country. What they are proposing is another pathway, which is not the same standard, we don't think, 
or they haven't certainly they haven't indicated that the minimum standard is going to be FRACS. So they've set up guidelines around what a training program would look like. There's very little em- emphasis on surgical technique, surgical experience, um, no uh, numbers around how many operations you need to do, all of these sorts of things. Um, no indication of how you would provide that training. Um, and But then that is going to be an, what they're calling an endorsed pathway to be a cosmetic surgeon. So we think the FRACS would have to apply to actually be endorsed, um, but people who are not surgeons could also apply to have their training program approved and if it's improved then they're endorsed but it's not going to be at the same standard as what an FRACS currently is. Which is super confusing right like I think all of our messaging is always you don't have to go to us by any means look at things as long as they have the FRACS make sure that they're qualified and now there's just this other thing that even you explaining that and like this is something we've talked about at length. Every day. (laughs) is so confusing. Like it's so hard to get even into a soundbite. So how do we explain it to a layperson? Well, it's even more confusing because they're also talking about protecting the title of surgeon. So these people who are endorsed to do cosmetic surgery can't call themselves a surgeon And none of it would actually prevent someone actually from doing cosmetic surgery anyway. So there's no regulation that they're putting into place that says you have to be endorsed or you have to be FRACS. So it's super confusing. You have this pathway, which is not going to be a standard of RACs, FRACs, you have FRACs, and then you have the same people who are in the space now who can still, under Australian law, um, operate. So the main issue that came out of all of these um, um, pieces on Four Corners was that there are untrained people doing surgery and yet they've just made the space murkier and more confusing and maybe pushing through and endorsing some people who don't have the same training. Yeah, and I think, you know, you've spoken about the people who were the the focus of those exposés could be grandfathered into this model. So exactly what the exposés we assume were trying to point out was that this is happening and all that this kind of feels like it's been like, okay, well, we'll get them in because then they'll have our blessing. It's just a bizarre direction that APRA have taken. Um, They've gone against all advice that from experts as far as I've been told Um, and it's just – it, it seemed like a very, very obvious thing to do, leave surgery for surgeons rather than create a pathway that is easier to access. So lowering the standards of entry into surgery. All right, another one um, is now patients will need a referral from a GP to come see us. Yeah. A, a lot of patients currently like yeah. already get a referral. Like, you know, they might go see a GP and really have no idea or – they might know exactly what they want and go to the GP. What does it mean to make this referral a necessity? So I think there's been a lot of misinformation from um, various groups with um, uh, vested interests in this, um, talking about the GP referrals being a good thing. Uh, We're not saying a GP referral is a bad thing. What we're saying is it shouldn't be mandated. 
okay? And, and by mandating a GP referral, what that means is that if you're a, a young woman and you don't like your breasts and you want to have a, a breast implant, you now need to go to a GP um, and get their approval to be referred. If your GP then says, no, I don't believe in cosmetic surgery, you shouldn't, then you have no avenue to go to see a plastic surgeon. Which is not like that's something that happens all the time. We're yeah. not being like, oh, well, in this hypothetical situation, no, we hear from patients almost daily yeah. who have had to fight their GPs or yeah. whoever around them because they've been like, you can just exercise away that extra skin because they don't have the depth of knowledge that, you know, or understanding, which is fine. They don't have to. Yeah. But to make it that that's the roadblock. No, well, we live in an age where patients are unbelievably well-informed, way more informed. I mean, I think plastic surgery is an area that GPs, you know, reasonably are not um, overly exposed to. Um, I'd much more prefer my GP knows all about cardiac disease or um, rashes or, you know, common things. I, I don't think that they should be experts in breast implants or rhinoplasty. But it's even more confusing than that. There are some, as, as you alluded to in, in your introduction, there are some operations which are the same operations. So take a tummy tuck. So if you haven't lost weight and your uh, muscle gap is uh, 2.95 centimetres, okay, then you need a referral. If, if your muscle separation is three centimetres, no referral because then, then there's an item number. So if you've lost four and a half BMI points, referral, um, five, no referral. The other crazy part about this is, you know, there are constant reports, GPs are overworked, the number that are bulk billing is reducing. So patients are going to be out of pocket for this. Medicare is going to be funding it. But when a patient comes to see us for one of these things, because it's cosmetic, they don't get a rebate for our consultation. Um, but I think it's a good segue just to discuss, you know, where referrals sit because often people think they need a referral. Yeah. So all a referral will help you with is uh, getting a rebate on your consultation. So it doesn't – you can come and see us without a referral. You just won't get the $75 rebate. But if you're paying out of pocket to have a, a GP referral, it's kind of it balances out. Yeah. Um, by all means, if you've got a GP and you trust them and you've got a good relationship with them and you want their advice, we think that's a good idea. We just don't think it should be mandated. We don't see how it improves patient safety. Yeah. And we think this is just APRA passing the buck and saying, well, now we've put the GP gatekeepers in. Yeah. This is going to stop um, patients being referred to the wrong surgeons. But we know historically uh, across a number of different fields, GPs, have in the past referred to non-surgeons yeah. for a variety of things, cosmetics, cosmetic surgery, but also dermatology uh, or you know, skin cancer surgeries. Um, and so historically they've not been great gatekeepers, mm. but APRA can say, well, now it's off when we're putting it in the GPs. We feel bad for GPs. And GPs have been very vocal about the fact that they don't yeah. want it. No, it's terrible for everyone. Um, all right, another one is needing to see um, the surgeon twice, yeah. two separate consults, and there needs to be a week cooling off periods. Yeah. Is it a week between the two consults, no. just two consults and a week before they can 
book, book a week yeah. before they can book after the second consultation. So again, a lot of misinformation about this being spread. We're not against two ref- consultations. Yeah. If if I think you need consulta- two consultations, if you think you need two consultations, we're very happy to have two consultations. And it's something that we do often. If very, people have other questions, yeah. they come back. Every consultation for me ends with if you have more questions and you want to see me again, we can easily arrange it. That's how I end every consultation, every first consultation. Every yeah. first conversation. <laughs> um, but everyone sets up their practice differently. So yeah. patients of ours, and um, I am doing a Facebook Live on this coming up, uh, we put, we've put a lot of um, uh, work and effort into setting our consultations up so they're very, very comprehensive. And we often get feedback from patients that we provide more information than what most people provide. But we've got TouchMD, which is an, an excellent tool to... Um, uh, inform patients they can access that at home um, uh, and so we and we also allow an hour or an hour and a half depending on what procedure so we allow a lot of time other practices do a much shorter version they might do half an hour 20 minutes um, and then you know and then they've planned two consultations that's fine as well everyone does everything a little bit differently um, but they seem to be confusing quality and quantity. Yeah. So if you do three shit consult, can I say shit? Yeah, I'll allow it. <laughs> you might have to beat that out. Um, if you do three shit consultations, it's still three shit consultations, and, and that doesn't mm. that do, doesn't make it better than one like very informative, helpful consultation. Or you do three consultations that are all fifteen minutes. That's still less yes. than our one. And yeah. then it's like, okay, so our one hour and a half is worth yeah. less than the three fifteen minutes. Yeah. It's a very complicated equation. And again, and like we've been saying a lot that, look, a lot of these like don't affect repasse because we do do the hour. We yeah. don't pressure people into booking. We You can listen to any of our red flag, green flag episodes and we say if anybody is like haranguing you, harassing you, telling you you need to mm. put down a deposit before you leave, like that's a red flag. We are yeah. We definitely are not like people that are like, yeah, well, they're weakling off, we're going to lose all of our clientele. That's not how we no. operate, but it's just it's the kind of disconnect between yeah. what's being put out there and like what's actually happening and as to whether it's a helpful step for patient safety, which is the thing that matters. Yeah. Um, if I thought this would help patient safety, I'd be all on board. I mean, we we've, and again, I just I don't want it to be mandated. Yeah. Like why why would you mandate something which has no evidence to help patient safety? Yeah. Um, all right, fourth and my personal favourite yeah. is needing to do a body dysmorphic disorder <sighs> test, uh, psych review, if yeah. you will, yeah. um, on every patient that comes in. What would that look like in terms of are they saying that we send out a link before people come? Are you meant to do the evaluation? Yeah. Uh, scant on details yeah, I yeah. think would be the first point. Uh, there's no validated or certainly no validated tool easy tool that I've seen that would differentiate. And and anybody, and, and we're not diminishing body dysmorphia. It's a very serious condition, but a very rare condition. So in my career, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody with it. Um, it's a very extreme ed. And, and I think there's a lot of conflation between that and body image. 100% of patients who see us have concerns with their body image. I've got concerns with my body image. Like, mm. every, like I look, you know, every, that's not an abnormal thing. 
Body dysmorphia is where you are almost housebound and obsessed over a minor irregularity that maybe nobody else can see. So that's body dysmorphia. So, so the screening test, there's no way that you could possibly validate a screening test. And also a screening test that's picking up, you know, maybe one in a thousand patients, um, that's got to be some super test because um, that, that's going to be a very hard thing to pick up, the one needle in a haystack from a screening test. So every single patient is going to have to have this screening test in the hope that we find someone above and beyond like what we've been raised and we've done a, a, a podcast with a, a psychologist who works in this field uh, who talked about all the complexities of what body dysmorphia is. It's something we take seriously, but it's something that we would um, hand over to an expert. We're not experts in it. Yeah, we're, we're definitely not trivialising it. I think that it's being trivialised by this. Yeah. I've said it time and time again, it's a mental disorder. It's insulting to psychiatrists and mental health professionals to imply that either a GP or a plastic surgeon or a cosmetic doctor, whoever, could diagnose and treat that. I, like we all have done tests and like we've yeah. all seen – anorexics you know eat to distract people from the fact that they're not eating you know like there's things at play if you have body dysmorphia and it says do you think about this all the time you're gonna go no do you know what boxes to tick if you want to have it and it's um and i i think it's being massively conflated to say negative body image is not the same as obsessing over and it's in the dsm5 is underneath obsessive compulsion and other disorders. It is so much more akin to OCD and it has sections in it to remove if it has anything to do with like weight, anorexia, bulimia is by definition not body dysmorphic disorder, which I think APRA could probably have a hand at looking at. I don't think colloquialisms should be informing policy. I think Mm. it's ridiculous that they're just because we use body dysmorphia in a certain way talking to other people. But if it's diagnostic language... They mm. can't be doing it. And we were speaking about earlier. Yeah, right. Our receptionist, her friend has body dysmorphia, diagnosed by a psychologist, mm. and she wanted a breast reduction Yeah, because her back hurt. And her psychologist said, oh, God, yeah, go get a breast reduction. Mm. That's completely separate to what you're dealing with. Yeah, That's two, a different issue. Two things can be, this, can yeah. be true at once. You yeah. can have body dysmorphia and have large breasts and yeah. benefit from that surgery. Now, we would still take additional care in those cases and probably still refer them, almost certainly refer them to a psychologist for the support afterwards in the recovery period um, because that that may inflame some of their um, issues. But just because you've got body dysmorphia doesn't preclude you from having any of this surgery either. Currently, you know, we're all kind of pretty much under it. So there's social media um, restrictions, which we abide by currently um one of them is no testimonials which i don't think people know about because you know we don't write (laughs) not allowed testimonials but that is very far reaching as well Mm. with their definition of a testimonial um so it's you know we, we won't ever post anything from you know a patient saying how a surgery changed their life or anything which i do think makes for an uneven landscape that people who aren't bound to the same things like people who aren't qualified plastic surgeons can do testimonials and say whatever they want and have people post all the good things and share those. And we can't, which gags us somewhat, 
But well, te- the- technically they can't either, but they're pretending to be surgeons. So yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. kind of like a low bar. Yeah, if of their if, moral if compass. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're under currently, which I think is just important to say because nobody knows that. Yeah. Um, but what, what are the new ones coming? What are some changes? Uh, well, I mean, personally, like just to go back a step, I mean, I, I think testimonials – would, would make the landscape better. A thousand percent. It's insane yeah. that you it can't say, that you yeah. can't share if you've had a good or bad experience. You should be able to say yeah. that on the internet. And particularly if this endorsement model gets up and, and there are less, well, e- even without the endorsement model, um, like we know that non-surgeons have higher complication rates compared to what surgeons have. Um, and so that would come through if, if there was... Um, unfettered testimonials, Google reviews and, and the like. Um, this is now going a step further. So now allegedly they're asking that all comments are turned off on Instagram. Um, they're also saying if someone tags me in their post, I have to somehow um, take that down. I don't know how I'm meant to do that or even find all of them. And historically, mm-hmm. historically, so before this all comes down, if anyone wants to tag me, <laughs> please feel free. Um, you've you got about because of July, you've got oh. six, seven weeks. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we, as you know, we, we put in so much effort to educate and inform patients through our social media platforms. For them to suggest that we can't use that to help patients is uh, it's, it's going backwards. Mm. You know, patients... Every day I would see patients who say, talk about um, either that they've watched videos that I've done and it's informed them so much and it's helped them on their journey or they've joined our Facebook group. They want to shut down the Facebook group as well. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've um, uh, connected with patients who've had previous surgery and that's helped them also understand what the process is and Kim and I can talk about recovery and surgery, but we haven't actually had any of the surgeries. So much better talking to someone who has if you yeah. want to know what's it like on day one, what's it like having a shower. Like I can yeah. tell you what I see, but I haven't been in the situation. What's it like getting in and out of bed? What's it like going upstairs? Yeah. Could you carry your kids? Could you, could you help around the house? Could you go in a car? All of these things. I, I can say an average of what people tell me but it's very much more beneficial to get it from someone who's been through it so they want to shut all that down um which and also that would be a way if you had had a negative experience to communicate like because how else do you get out what you just go like you post in your story with yeah 500 followers and you hope that somebody had seen it is also thinking about maybe going to the same surgeon it's like Ridiculous. It's very George Orwellian. Um, you know, next thing, who knows? Maybe they're going to stop personal recommendations. <laughs> you know, I mean, social media these days is how people communicate about everything. So, and we take great pride in having standardized clinical images yeah. and making sure that what's and all, like everything is shown yeah. um, to then to just kind of undermine that and act like because even, you know, they're changing the rules on what we compose. And honestly, like we said, we're for the most part fine because we do everything like yeah. by the book and we care about patient safety and we want to ensure that 
expectations are managed mm-hmm. and you're getting realistic views. I think a lot of the people who are in these positions representing us are not people who are familiar with social media. And so they read what we read about social media and it's terrible and it's terrible for uh, young kids and that they're being influenced. And, and look, there, there is maybe an element of that, um, but they, they forget all of these positive things that we're talking about. They just highlight all of the negatives. There is for sure. I'm without a doubt in my mind sure that social media is like ruining so many of us in so many ways. So it's like them saying jump and not having a thing to catch you. So if if they do think that it's completely like mashing people's heads and like they, they're getting these unnecessary surgeries and they're like, okay, well, you definitely have um, a mental disorder. We're not gonna we're not gonna help you on the other side. No. Of that. We're not gonna help you get mental no, health care. No, the government's care. decreasing all that. They've decreased mental health Correct. sessions by ten. Like you can't get into a psychologist or a no. psycho- psychiatrist if you yeah. cut your arm off in psychosis. Like no. you can't get in anywhere. Yeah. So to then be like, oh well, we think all of this. We're not gonna help support. No, but we are gonna take away any educational power and then also not help you. Yeah. No, th- they are implying through all these regulations that pretty much everyone having these surgeries is a little bit crazy and overly obsessed with it. So if you're going to imply that, as you, exactly as you said, well, you need to quadruple support mechanisms for all these people. Yeah. I mean, we don't have that view of people. I mean, people have um, parts of their body that they want us to improve and, and we can improve it. They don't have a psychiatric problem. Yeah. But the government is, or APRA is implying that's the case. But putting no provisions in to provide support for them. So it's crazy at just every single level. Yeah. Pun not in. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and I think me and um, Domi were just doing one of the BDD lists and it's like, well, what is this? What is yeah. the impact of any of this? It's like, does it cause you distress? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. But like how much? What, do, what does that mean? Like so distressed. And everybody, please listen to the episode with um, Roberta Honigman. Yeah. it's fan- And I think it does paint a, a dark picture, but, uh, you know, a realistic of what BDD actually, it's not, can't just throw it around wherever you'd like no. and try and apply it to any situation. It's dark. Um, and, you know, there's no kind of nuance within the, and I'm not saying, like, obviously we think that people who have body dysmorphic disorder should get help and they should be diagnosed. Mm. But it's ridiculous to imply that like a BuzzFeed what slice of bread are you quiz online yeah. is going to be, what does it? Um, are there any, there are my heavy hitters that I took from, was there any other ones? Oh, look, there are, there are 15 separate guidelines. Um, I think uh, they're certainly the, the main ones that concern us. A lot of the others are probably sort of related to those. Our feeling is the guidelines are misguided. Um Pun intended. <laughs> um, APRA, APRA seem to be have been caught with their pants down. Um, this industry has gone unregulated by them for decades. Uh, we weren't the ones operating with without surgical training. Um, they've known about all of these people for decades and have done nothing. And they're potentially facing a royal commission. And a, as a response to show they're they're strong and active in this area and and committed to. Um, making things better, they've come up with these guidelines which do none of that. Yeah. So they don't do anything to improve patient safety. If anything, they're, they're going to, I think, make it less clear, less safe, 
are more dangerous for patients. And we'd, we'd just like them to, to pause, come back to the table and have a proper discussion and, and work out a way that we can make this safer for everyone. We will, of course, update everybody as uh, things progress or don't. Keep your updates, message below. Or let us mm. know what you actually think about this, if you, how you think it's going to impact your journey, what do you think will happen to you. Um, I think that's all from us for now, but we'll keep you informed. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery. Plastic surgery.